Welcome to the Empowered Birth Podcast. I'm Alan McLean, registered nurse, home birth doula, and former feminist. My mission is to guide you into the freedom that is God's design for femininity, birth, and motherhood. There's a movement happening of powerful women uniting around finding out God's best for us. You're going to find information here that you won't find in your basic childbirth education class. You'll hear stories of women and birth professionals who are experiencing the redeeming experience that birth can be. You're going to get all the information you need to confidently navigate your way from pregnancy to postpartum and beyond. Are you ready to go on a Holy Spirit empowered adventure? Then stick around, you're exactly where you should be. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Empowered Birth Podcast. Today is going to be a little different. I actually haven't recorded a single just me talking episode in quite a while. Usually it's been interviews and they have been amazing. I've had such an honor interviewing other people who are just so much smarter than me and amazing. And I love hearing other people's stories. So it's been wonderful. But this week, was huge in regards to home birth, specifically in the state that I live in, but it doesn't just affect Nebraskans. It actually affects other women from around the United States. So I did not want to let this week pass before I talk about it. And so this episode is just going to be a little bit of a recap over this week and specifically going into the trial with Nebraska against Angela Hawk that Court TV was calling it midwife death trial or something like that. Anyways, I was able to watch all except day one, the trial. And I just want to recap that here for you because I think there's a lot of really important things to talk about. So again, this is not all encompassing. I'm not even close to being a lawyer, so I can't even really go into the implications of all of this trial and this week or everything that it means. But I do want to give my thoughts as a Nebraska mom, as a home birth mom, as somebody who has had a traumatic birth experience and wanted something different as somebody who knows the midwives who want to serve people well I just want to speak on behalf of that and just give my thoughts and my musings so I am planning on just doing a little recap over the day two through four mostly or two through five and if you want to check out, I had documented this all on my Instagram and I had say, I saved it on highlights. So you can actually go to Empowered Birth Podcast over on Instagram and find those highlights. And those were my in the moment thoughts. <laughs> so if you're curious on what I was thinking in the moment, there may be one or two selfies of me looking confused. But okay, I'm going to try and keep this as short as possible. I have been processing with quite a few women here. It was such a big week. There was lots of tears of joy. And I'm just really excited for what this could mean for our state. 
and just, yeah, what this could mean for home birth in general and who knows the implications across the United States. I mean, I get chills thinking about it. Anyways, day one recap. I, like I said, I did not watch it. I do know that there were some EMTs that were on the scene that testified and all of their testimonies were a little bit different. So they were pretty inconsistent from what I'm hearing. And then also the dad, he testified as well. And he was fairly neutral and just answered questions. And I didn't know you could actually watch live and you can go back and you can watch them all live on courttv.com. You can also go to YouTube and just YouTube Court TV, Angela Hawk, and you will find days, all the days of the trial. It was super intriguing, so, so interesting and frustrating at times. There was just such a roller coaster of emotions, but let's start on day two. So day two started with an EMT that was testifying who was on the scene and he wasn't in direct contact with the mom, but he testified to his training in birth. And basically when they were learning how to be EMTs, they shadowed an LND floor for two eight hour shifts. And he said, I think he saw maybe two deliveries with that first eight hour shift and then no deliveries on the second. So basically if you want an EMT, which thank the Lord for EMTs truly, but also they don't know anything about birth. (laughs) So that's basically what this testimony was saying. And I think from his testimony, the thing that stuck out to me the most was the fact that continuity of care from home birth to hospital birth was, is greatly lacking in this state. And I'm not well-versed. I don't know what other states are like, but I would hope that if continuity of care between home birth and hospital birth was to continue to come to the forefront as something that's really important, that the EMTs would also start getting more training on neonatal resuscitation and just deliveries in general. I think that it was very apparent. They felt very ill-equipped in their training, which was, it's just sad. Like I've been in situations before as a nurse where I'm like, Ooh, I feel so uncomfortable right now because nobody has ever taught me this. And you know, it's kind of like learn as you go. That's not a good place to be in. And I think in order, and this is I mean, countrywide, like we want people to be well-informed. We want um, the best care possible. And we do that by getting lots of training. And that topic came out a lot in court was why training is so important. So that was something that just became really apparent during this testimony. They have an OB kit on the ambulance and they don't even know what's in there. There was a scalpel in there and that was something that kept coming up like, oh, well, he thought that the midwife should have used a scalpel for the emergency episiotomy and the midwife had used the trauma shears that were offered, but there were surgical scissors. They just weren't offered to her. It was, I mean, that whole thing, it was just kind of a mess. But anyways, they were stuck on that scalpel versus 
scissors for quite a while. Overall, I will say this before I continue, just to clarify, I had so many questions this week, but it was the state, not the parents, who were pressing charges and pursuing court for this midwife. So it was Nebraska against this midwife. And her name is Angie Hawksall. I'll use Angie. That was just a question I got a lot. But prosecution seemed to be really, really disorganized. And the defense team was fantastic. And I honestly don't think it was because I was biased towards them. I was kind of assessing that for a while, but they knew their stuff. They have helped midwives before, I believe. I mean, and it was just apparent. They knew their vocabulary. They knew what physiological birth was. They knew the right questions to ask. It was beautiful to watch. So her defense team was amazing. I believe this was in the cross-examination of this EMT. So this was a very important point that came up later in the trial. But the defense asked, why did you set up the OB kit and get ready instead of just taking the mom to the hospital? And the EMT said, because the other woman that was there seemed like she knew what she was doing. So essentially the prosecution's argument was, Because she came off as she knew what she was doing, she delayed things from happening. And then from the, she delayed, you know, care for the child. And then on the defensive side, they were saying that because the EMTs basically didn't do what they were trained to do, that it costs time. And also there was, you know, a sad delay in construction that later came out that added like 10 minutes to the ride to the hospital, which is just so tragic. And then on day two, the prosecution, I just had to laugh and I took kind of account of it. But I think it was probably three times that day, the lawyer said, I apologize. I probably didn't ask the best questions. And I'm like, coming from a lawyer, I don't know if I would want to say that out loud. Like it's admitting something that just doesn't sound very nice when you are supposed to have a job of asking good questions. So that was just kind of a funny side note to me. So yes, there was a lot that came up on this EMT, the poor EMT. Oh my goodness. I hope I never have to be a witness in a trial because it looks absolutely miserable. But it just came out that training was lacking. They had no specific training on childbirth. He, he couldn't remember the last time he had trained on that. And then they brought in an expert witness. So this expert witness was a pathologist from a local hospital in Nebraska called the Med Center Nebraska Medicine. And this doctor, he had never and this becomes important later on down the road. And that's something that I really learned from watching this whole trial was a lot of the times the line of questioning doesn't really make sense until they continue to bring in witnesses. And so some things that came up on day two were really, really important for the last day of questioning. And it was so fascinating to watch So what was really important is this witness had never, or the pathologist had never 
witnessed a oh no it wasn't the pathologist it was it was the ob that's right it was the ob that actually reported angie for being a midwife and she admits she's never assisted performed or witnessed a singleton vaginal breach birth and neither has her partner who she did training with and the reason was it's just not standard of care and i think what that brought up to light is like wow women really have no options because if you wanted to go to the hospital and have a breech birth, a vaginal breech birth, they have no idea because they go off the standard of care of the ACOG and they're unable to feel confident in delivering a vaginal breech birth. So they just go to C-section, right? And so that's where that lack of education comes in. And it's so important to realize, even if they say, oh, of course, and she kept saying this, you have options like, she could have chosen to birth her baby in a hospital. And it's like, but nobody would have delivered her vaginally there. And that's what she wanted. Like she wanted a vaginal birth, a home birth after cesarean. Mothers have no options because hospital protocol, because the standard of care set up by the ACOG. There's so many hoops to jump through. And it just limits us. It limits us as parents to choose what we want. One thing the lawyer asked, okay, if a midwife patient presents with a breach birth and you come in to counsel them, do you go over all different types of presentations, risks, and such? And the doctor said, usually we do not have to get into all of that. So my interpretation of that was informed consent doesn't matter. If the doctor is talking, but God forbid, an unlicensed midwife doesn't go into every single situation that could happen in a breach delivery, then they will prosecute them. And that will come up at a later time as well. So it's just informed consent was a huge topic during this trial. And I think it's so, so important to go back and listen to um, these snippets. And actually on YouTube, they break it up into who testified when. I would highly, highly recommend listening to snippets of this trial when you can, because it is so eye-opening to the double standards, the lack of continuity of care, the lack of patient rights that were acknowledged. And I am so thankful that this was recorded because it's truly historic. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Again, I just want to clarify home birth in Nebraska is not illegal. And so many women think that it is illegal. And so they choose a hospital birth just because they've heard that it was illegal. But I want to tell you that there is no statute that says having a home birth is illegal. A parent does have the right to choose. And the judge acknowledges that on verdict day. Um, What is illegal, what is a felony, what the statute does state is that a certified nurse midwife cannot attend a home birth, okay? It says nothing about a certified professional midwife or a traditionally trained midwife from attending home births. So there is such a lack in the law, and the prosecution made it clear that this had nothing to do with Nebraska home birth law, even though we know full well they have tried a few times to get midwives to stop serving women in Nebraska by pressing charges, and it doesn't go anywhere. 
So they brought out a full-on felony, a criminal charge of child abuse and neglect that led to death, which is, (laughs) and this came out at a later time as well. That has never been in this expert witness who came on day four, I believe. She, her name is Dr. Ophoven, and she has given second opinions, and she has never had a doctor who experienced a brain death or a death in a birth be charged with something like this. I mean, it's unheard of. It's ridiculous. And so I don't actually know, except running Angie into the ground, like, financially wise, because they have held off on this for three and a half years and kept pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. I mean, I don't know if that's the only thing that they were thinking they could do, or if they really thought that they would get a conviction based on that charge. I have no idea, but it didn't work. (laughs) And I'm so thankful for that. So again, one of the most important conversations that came up during this trial was on informed consent. What is informed consent? How long do you have to talk to be informed consent? How many risks and benefits do you have to go over before you can say they have had informed consent? What is coercion? That was a very interesting question that came up. The defense, this is great. They asked some great questions. This is Dr. Lesman, who was the OB that attended the mom. And the defense was questioning her, what is coercion? How do power differentials come into play when it comes to informed consent? Does a provider have more power than a patient? So is a patient more vulnerable during labor? These are all things that when you choose home birth, you're choosing that because you don't want the power dynamic or you want the power dynamic to be switched right? You want the power to go back into the mom's hands. And the thing is, I mean, when you enter into a system that has worked this way for hundreds of years, like this is what you're going to get. There is a true power differential. How does that come into play with informed consent? Can you really consent when you feel like you're being bullied or coerced because of a power differential into a procedure? Can you really know what you want to know? I will just tell you from experience, with my first birth, there was informed consent verbally, like, oh, we're going to do blank. This is naturally occurring hormone. We're going to give you Pitocin. This is just our bodies give this hormone off. Oh, I'm just going to turn it up a little bit. They're verbally telling me what they're going to do, but in my mind, they were of a higher power. And so I should just comply and I should be a good patient. Was that true informed consent or was that coercion? I don't know. I mean, I do know now, but I didn't know back then. It is a really important thing to have a conversation about. So if you want an eye-opening experience for what doctors really think about informed consent, I would highly suggest you go to day two and find Dr. Lesman's testimony because it will rock your world. And there was just so much to say about that. (laughs) I don't know how much I want to 
uh, go into her testimony. I just really think that it's so important for you guys to go listen to. Uh, she didn't know what the fetal ejection reflex was. Reflex was she didn't really know how to define coercion. The defense brought up ACOG recommendation and discourages providers from threatening to call CPS or police regarding parents' choices. And oh my goodness, how many stories have I heard of that being threatened? Like, oh, if you don't schedule your C-section or if you don't get a C-section right now, we're going to call CPS and we're going to have a court take away your rights. It happens. It happens. And so even if it's a recommendation from the ACOG, my goodness, you need to know who your provider is. You need to know where you're going and what their ethics are. Oh, I could go into that. I could talk about that forever. So basically, with the defense interviewing or cross-examining her, they basically set up how the doctor would have done the same exact thing as this midwife to try and help the baby in this situation. Another thing that had come up was just the overuse of C-sections and how if you're planning a big family, taking into account how many C-sections you have is extremely important. And so that was something that really came up in the judge's verdict as well, where it comes down to parent choice. So another thing that the doctor had said is we can never guarantee obstetric outcomes. Again, because there is no such thing as 100% safe in childbirth, the parents should always have the right to choose what is going to be best for them. Okay, so day three, prosecution started off the day with a police officer who was on, or he had some part in conducting this investigation. So they were going and showing pictures of this midwife's home. I can't imagine how intrusive that must have felt to have pictures of her home. For everybody to see. But basically, one thing that showed was a certification of breach birth. And it was just funny to see that Angie had more certifications than the doctor has even witnessed breach birth. That actually did come into account in the judge's verdict, which was huge. And I'll go over that in a, in a little bit. So basically, he was interviewed just about the investigation what they had found. And then they brought in Dr. Robert Bowen, who is a pathologist with Nebraska Medicine. And he went over what an autopsy is, what they look for. And they talked about brain death and how typically 72 hours is given to prove brain death. But the baby was removed from life support around 36 hours. There was broken collarbone, two small cuts on the face, and the fingernails were cyanotic. And then they got stuck on well, how long does it take to have brain death occur? And in children and in adults, brain death, according to this pathologist, takes about five minutes of a lack of oxygen. That comes into account later when the other pathologist, the other, the defense's expert witness comes in and talks about neonatal ability to withstand hypoxia, to withstand not having oxygen, and how they are able to recover and with proper resuscitation. And it was so interesting. So that was 
a very important interview to or testimony to keep an eye on and then compare with the other pathologist. During that third day, the defense motion for the judge to dismiss back based on lack of evidence and then the judge said no. And then I believe it was the second half of day three. They played an interview that the mom had with a police officer. And the mom is quoted to say, it was nobody's fault. Sometimes babies just die. Angie was a good midwife. I mean, it was so heartbreaking to listen to this mom. I can't imagine interviewing with police two days after delivering this baby. And oh my goodness, it was heart-wrenching. Again, that is something to listen to as well. I think this mom has been totally demonized and it's truly heartbreaking because if anybody was in that position, that's just a hard position to be in and you can't fathom what she was going through. But there was obvious emotion by her midwife and she just retells from her perspective what labor was like. The one thing that was really important during that interview, prosecution, or no, it was the investigator. She said, do you wish things would have turned out differently? Well, of course, like who wouldn't wish that? The mom said, I wish the law would be different in Nebraska with other things. You should totally listen to this interview. It was very important. Okay, and now it's time to share one of my sponsors with you. After my first birth, which ended in a traumatic C-section, I started researching literally everything, including things that go in and on me and my family's body. I started getting rid of everything, first starting with cleaning products and then over-the-counter meds, but makeup has been the hardest thing for me to replace. It seems as all the natural makeup is in powder form and with the type of covers that I like, it just was not cutting it. That's when I found Araza Beauty's all-in-one coconut cream foundation. This foundation actually improves my skin while providing sun protection and, of course, even coverage. With a dewy finish, almost like a BB cream, it's perfect for everyday wear. Plus, it's packed with ingredients like jojoba oil, probiotics, antioxidants, and zinc oxide, which provides SPF 28 coverage. I also love that Araza Beauty is a woman-owned and dedicated to giving back to victims of domestic violence. I feel great about supporting this company, which makes it super luxurious makeup even more satisfying. Now, I recommend with starting with the foundation, see what I did there, foundation, <laughs> you won't regret it. Just to make it easier for you, Araza is giving my listeners a special discount of 15% off. So go to arazabeauty.com and use the code EMPOWEREDBIRTH at checkout. Next, they had brought on the expert witness who is a pediatric forensic pathologist. This is Dr. Alphoven. Lee, she's in Minnesota. She gives independent reviews and second opinions on abuse and neglect cases. And one thing that, well, there's a lot that came out during this specific interview. I think the defense did an amazing job. One, picking this expert witness. And two, with the line of questioning that they did. Defense had asked her, have any of the cases that you worked on resulted in the provider being charged with abuse and neglect? 
and the <laughs> prosecution had an objection. Judge overruled it. And the witness, she basically was like, oh, absolutely not. That's just not the nature of birth. It, it's not the nature of abuse. Like, it was so eye-opening to know, okay, this is truly, like, not a good charge if they wanted to charge her with anything. This witness went over a whole list of complications that can come up for mom of C-sections. And I think the prosecution had gotten stuck on this, like, well, if she just would have gone to the hospital and got a C-section, then everything would have been fine. And it's like, well, maybe, but then also you can't know that for a hundred percent certain. And so to charge somebody who was there helping along with the parents' wishes is just like, it's a far stretch. But this witness, this doctor, the pathologist said C-section is by no way a fail-safe. And through this, she had talked about neonatal resuscitation and just the baby's ability. And this was so amazing. The baby's ability to recover from a lack of oxygen. They can go longer time without oxygen and they can recover better with proper resuscitation. So the defense was definitely heading in the direction at that time that it was not an issue with the midwife, but it was an issue with improper resuscitation efforts, which was so sad. But that was based on the fact that the baby was documented as having good color after birth in the ambulance and then started to decline in color after. Patient choice really came up again in this and how we should know, like, we should not be thinking so short term, I guess. Not saying that each baby's life doesn't matter. And like, we should make the best decisions for what we know how of that birth. But then also looking at, okay, but what is the impact? What is the future impact of a C-section on a mom? Like having C-sections is, again, in Dr. Ophoven's word, no way a fail safe. Like it's not the easy way out. It's not always the safest way out. There's complications that can arise with each consecutive birth. So that's something that really needs to come into consideration when you are choosing what to do. Also, this went back to what the mom had testified. Well, well, she had during the interview with the police officer, she had said that the EMTs could not get a good suction around the baby's mouth when resuscitating. And so the fact that she was born with good color and then started to decline even with resuscitation efforts probably meant that the resuscitation was not working well, which is absolutely heartbreaking. I feel for everybody involved. This is, I mean, it was so beyond tragic, so tragic for everybody. During the cross-examination of this witness, the prosecution had said, and would you agree that breech birth is extremely dangerous? And the witness was just able to pause and she said, I would say that it carries more risk, but human anatomy can give birth both ways. And I just loved that she did not fall into the trap of, well, of course it's more dangerous. You know, it was, yes, it carries more risk, but you still can do it. Like, There's women who breach birth all around the world. And granted, it does carry more risk, but it goes back to that parent's choice. And 
our bodies have been able to do that. So that was just an amazing thing. I thought this witness was very, the doctor was very, very smart. Okay. Now the day four was closing arguments. And basically the prosecution's argument was that the midwife's arrogance led to the crime, that she did not inform the patients enough because if they were informed more, they would have gone to the hospital and then everything would have turned out perfectly fine. Again, as a far reach, I am not quite sure if they were even convinced themselves that this would lead to a conviction, but I think they did not have any idea the fire it would ignite in women of Nebraska and not not just Nebraska like this was nationally known as something that was happening and there are women rejoicing throughout all of the United States for this ruling so I don't think they understand the can of worms that they had opened by charging her with this the prosecution had made the statement that if she would have been informed then it wouldn't have been a crime but because they weren't informed enough that it was. It was just really interesting considering the fact that they have pressed charges on so many other midwives for practicing medicine or working without a license when there's no license to even get here besides the certified nurse midwife license. And there's plenty of women out there who do not want CNMs at their birth. Like, I wouldn't choose to have a certified nurse midwife at my birth. I would want somebody who's traditionally trained, who is extremely hands-off, and basically somebody I don't need them to do anything except watch me, <laughs> watch me birth. And Nebraska does not realize that yet, but the tides may be changing after this. Who knows? Then the defense goes on to argue that the midwife was not guilty. There was clarified the law on what constitutes child abuse and when it can be considered what is considered to be a child based on the Nebraska statutes. That was very interesting. Listen to the closing arguments and you'll know what I mean, but very interesting. The defense also brought up that Nebraska law has a statute that says nothing about unlicensed midwives from attending home birth. Again, I explained that in my story, so you can go look at the highlights of that. The defense talks about how prosecution painted mom to be basically uneducated and easily swayed by the Pied Piper midwife instead of an informed woman and dad who looked at all of their options and made the educated choice to go with this midwife. Like, these parents were not stupid. Angie never said she was a certified nurse midwife. She never said she was a certified midwife. She just said that she had training. They had signed a contract. They knew exactly who they were going with. And they were not swayed or manipulated into doing anything. Some points made by the defense were Angie had breached training, which again, remember, it was more training than the doctor even had. 
it would have been a hoax, like the prosecution had said, if she wouldn't have known step by step exactly how to deliver a breech baby in the same way that Dr. Lessman said that she would have done it. And then the ACOG states in a recent committee paper that vaginal breech birth may increase the risk of death. Not a guarantee, it may. So just based on that alone, like you cannot guarantee any outcomes. And then also their point was prosecution conflates civil versus criminal. So this was a criminal charge and the judge brought that up too on how there was many civil charges that could have maybe been brought up, but they went for the full criminal charge. But this just all goes back to a woman's autonomy. They always had an option to go to the hospital and they chose to stay home. They were not made or coerced into anything. I just love this part where the defense used 30 seconds of his closing to demonstrate the length of time for informed consent. There was a testimony, I believe it was by the dad, who said that they had talked for about two to three minutes about their options when the baby was found to be breached. So it was a long enough conversation. Obviously, the judge felt that way for it to be considered informed consent. The defense was quoted to say the only person who controlled mom was the mom. This ruling by the judge really set a precedent for midwives and women who choose to support other women in home birth. There was so much reasonable doubt here. And the both pathologists had concluded that this was an accidental death. And it was even on the death certificate that it was accidental. And unfortunately, and this is a whole other podcast episode, but unfortunately, like childbirth isn't 100% safe and there's no guarantees in birth. And so death is a part of life. It does happen as tragic as it is, but a lot of times it's just nobody's fault. It just happens. And you can go on and on with all of the what ifs. And I'm sure these parents will do that probably for the rest of their lives. Who knows? The midwife might be going through all of the what ifs. That's a very normal grieving thing to do is say, well, what if this would have happened? What if we would have just done this? What if you could do that forever, but it's not going to change anything. And so I think as a home birth mom and somebody who knows so many moms who have home birth, that's something we have to come to grips with before making this decision is I know ultimately it falls back on me. No matter what happens during the birth, like I'm making a choice and I have to be able to live with that choice. And that's something we choose and we do not choose that lightly at all. Um, Now, there was a couple of intervening causes that came up and why it was important to look at how this couldn't be laid totally on Angie as this was your fault. If you would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. The intervening causes was mom was in the bathroom for 15 minutes. Nobody knows what happened during that time. Like We have no idea. And so to say that that 15 minutes does not matter, that would be foolish. The second one is the EMTs had inconsistent testimonies. The V maneuver was not performed. Suctioning wasn't done. They didn't load and go like they're trained. 
They didn't hand over surgical scissors for the episiotomy. They attempted resuscitation but couldn't get a seal, as testified by the mom. The prosecution rebuttals that parents didn't know breach at home was very, very dangerous. And if they did, they would, baby would have lived because they would have gone to the hospital. And again, you can't say that for certain. There's no certainty in what would have happened if you would have done this. And so finding peace with what did happen and also with the decisions that with the information you knew at that time, that's going to be a long process for everybody. But essentially the verdict came out and the judge ruled Angie as not guilty, which was a huge day for Nebraska. And I just wanted to read this too. And this was from a prayer group. And it says, today is a day of history for the U.S. And I couldn't have withstood this all without you. First, never before in the history of the United States has any court proclaimed home birth as a constitutional right until today. This was tried in California in 1975 and failed. Today in Nebraska, we succeeded. Second, the court acknowledging training and education of a midwife is huge in the United States since routinely in the courts, midwives are seen as uneducated and untrained. Third, the court used these examples to further elaborate on autonomy. And it's defined as no right is held more sacred or is more carefully guarded by common law than the right of every individual to possess and control the individual's own person, free from all restraint or interference of others, unless clear and unquestionable authority of law. This is so big, and this is historical, and this is so exciting because home birth is a right of parents to make. And this is not just Nebraska. This is statewide. Like women have the constitutional right as a human being to choose where, when, and with whom to birth. And that is amazing. And the fact that Angie is not a certified nurse midwife, and yet she uses the term midwife and the judge was able to look at all of her training, all of her certifications and say, yes, she is trained. She knew what she was doing. That is huge. And who knows the implications of what that will bring for women all across the country. And again, talking about autonomy and how we as women have a right over our bodies and what we choose to do. It was just so massive. That's basically the recap. Again, go to coretv.com. You can look for all the videos there. You can also find them on YouTube. I highly suggest you picking a couple of testimonies to listen to because they were extremely eye-opening and so wonderful. So I have a few questions I just want to go over. I got a lot of questions over on Instagram. Again, I am not a lawyer. So I have, this is coming from a mom (laughs) who is home birth, somebody who is very invested into this trial. And so these are just my thoughts and my musings. You can take it or leave it. But there was a question about my thoughts on licensing and if or when it is beneficial. And again, 
I think that this goes back to parents' choice. The more options that we have, the more choices that we have to make. And so I think that having licensing isn't always the worst thing in the world. Would I choose a licensed midwife? Would I love licensing in Nebraska? Not necessarily. I think it puts a lot of restrictions on parents. And you can see that by there's a lot of states who, you know, if you've had a C-section, you cannot home birth. If you have a breech baby, you cannot home birth. If you go past 42 weeks due to the licensing and the regulations in that state, you're not able to home birth. And so the fact that home birth was made a constitutional right, it might start changing those things in different states. Who knows? But I think licensing as a whole would be a great option, but then not having or having the option of not being licensed. And maybe, I mean, again, this goes back to like, are parents smart enough to choose the type of midwife that they want to choose? If there's deception, sure. Like, charge them with something. (laughs) But there was no deception in this case. And we need to be able to have options of different types of midwives, birth center, hospital birth. The more options you have, the better, in my opinion. Okay. The cesarean risk for wanting big families. Oh, yeah. So I'll just go into a couple of those. So Dr. Ophoven brought up how there were many, 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 many risks to having a C-section. And by no way is it the easy way out, the best way out all the time. Sometimes it is totally necessary, but we need to be able to know the long-term risk as well. So, so many times informed consent is only being talked about like in the moment for the baby, but then for parents, for moms, especially like are we given the long-term effects on what a C-section can do? And if we are wanting a big family, what? how would a, having a C-section impact that? This is very personal to me because I have always wanted a big family. And so when I had my first baby via an emergency C-section and I was told I would only be able to have C-sections for the rest of my babies, I knew that limited me and how many kids I could have. And that was something that I just, it drove me to research. And so some of the risks, the long-term risks that are associated with having a C-section and why we should be so aware if you're planning on having a big family is there's an increased risk of uterine rupture with every single C-section that you have. There's increase of uh, placenta accreta, which is when the placenta implants into the C-section scar. And it's sometimes you need surgery to remove the placenta and you have a high risk of needing blood transfusions of massive hemorrhage. Sometimes they need to remove your uterus, have a hysterectomy to save your life during an accreta. She said there's a higher risk of endometriosis after C-section. So that leads to chronic pain and irregular periods. There's secondary infertility. There is so many things that are not talked about in the moment when you're getting a C-section and not even a lot of times like on the consent form, this is not always even brought up. So the fact that informed consent was brought up during this trial was so important. I think was so eye-opening for so many women because we need to know 
what are the true risks? It's not being talked about enough. So I love that that was a conversation that was able to be started. And the fact that they had wanted a big family definitely played a part in how they chose to birth. Let's see how women from other states can help Nebraskans in this fight. Okay. I love that question. I think number one, share your story. United States as a whole has an extremely low home birth rate. It's like less than 1%. And I think part of the reason is so many women are just scared to share their story, scared to be bold and say, you know what? I birthed in this way and it was the most amazing experience in my life. And I would do it again. And you should really consider that. You know, I think that the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it, the more women are going to want this option. And so I would encourage Nebraskans to do the same thing. I know there's hundreds of women just in this state alone that have had home birth for years. Like a lot of times there's big families that have all home birth and yet we're silent. And that is not doing anybody any good. And I know that the state has tried to scare and control and just bring this sense of fear over women that, oh, well, I did something wrong because I home birthed. And it's like, it's not true. You can be so proud and you can be so loud about your experience because it was not illegal. It's not. It's a constitutional right to have a home birth now. So that's amazing. I just think it's something that the more we talk about, the better. But if you have any ideas too, I mean, feel free to email me or send me a message on Instagram about ways that we can change legislature. I know there there are senators that have been working that have home birth bills just kind of sitting there. And so if there's people that we can partner with or just, I don't know, but I think your, your story is so powerful. So if you have any other ideas, I'd love to share them on my page. Okay. A couple of more questions, any resources or recommendations for processing a traumatic hospital birth? Okay. This was a very important thing that came up and a great topic that came up during this trial. Big reason that this mom dad chose to have a home birth was because of PTSD caused by their first birth, which ended up a home birth transfer into the hospital with an emergency C-section for failure to progress. And so this had had a huge impact on the decisions that were made. So processing a traumatic home or hospital birth is so important because once you have kind of cleared that trauma, you can be so confident in the decisions that you do make. So one thing that is important is one thing that I talk to my clients about journaling. Journaling is a great way to get the trauma from your head through your fingers onto the page. And there's just, it creates some distance. It's so powerful. Another thing is peer support. So talking to other moms who've been there and have had a traumatic birth or somebody who will just validate like, yes, that was not a good experience. And I see that and I see how that's impacted you. So 
peer support can be so helpful. I do one-on-one coaching with people who have been there. I'm not a counselor, but again, I'm like that peer support who has been there will allow you to unpack and process and verbally processing is just a very important part of healing from a traumatic hospital birth. I do have some episodes. One was just recent and I can post that on the show notes, but there's many different types of processing counseling. So like EMDR, there was another one that was just talked about on my podcast that again, I'll link. So there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things that you can do, but no, you're not alone. And this journey does matter. And the more that you can process, the healthier you will overall be. There's a question, any other type of provider currently allowed at home birth in Nebraska? By state law, no. There's nothing recognized in our law about home birth in general, except that a certified nurse midwife cannot attend. So that's kind of where women are getting the like, well, a certified professional midwife could because there's nothing in the law saying she can't. A traditionally trained midwife can because there's nothing in the law that says they can't. I guess by that logic, a doctor could attend. There's a lot of women who do a free birth or just have women come over to their house who will cook them food and give them water and just help them clean up. Um, I mean, that it just all comes back to the parents' choice of how they want to birth and who they want to have there. So hopefully the law in Nebraska will change for the better or we can start having some type of protection for parents and their midwives because I think the more that we can talk about this openly, the more power that this will gain. And it hasn't been until this trial that we've been able to be extremely open about some of the issues that are going on in Nebraska. I've done an interview or a podcast way early in the history of the Empowered Birth Podcast about home birth. So I can link that as well. So you can kind of go back and listen to that and see kind of how far we've come. But yeah, so if you have any questions, any thoughts about this, I would love to hear them. Go to Empowered Birth Podcast on Instagram. Send me a DM. Would love to hear what you thought about the trial. Again, I have two highlights on there from day two through five. A couple of last kind of closing thoughts is, I've said this again, but it always comes back to a parent's choice. So some parents want an unlicensed or what the media was calling a self-proclaimed midwife, which midwife just means with being with a woman, right? If you want to be self-proclaimed and you tell the parents, I am a self-proclaimed midwife, then they know exactly who they're choosing. And so I think this is going to be so interesting to see the future of midwifery as a whole, not just in Nebraska, but in the United States as some terminology is going to have to be defined. Parents' choice is going to have to be at the forefront of decisions and Yeah, the verdict, it was so interesting because he had said that this home birth was a constitutional right. And so some implications of that are it just 
because it's a constitutional right, it goes back to that individual and their choice. And that is just, it's huge. So continue, share your story. That's how culture is changed. Keeping confident in the decisions that you're making. People can feel that. Like they know, oh, she fully believes in what she's doing. And why is that? Why is she so confident in that choice when I'm just kind of going along with the flow and cog in the wheel and she's over there like so confident and so excited about this experience. Maybe I should look into that. Things are going to change slowly. Teach your children. This is an option. Birth is normal. It's not a medical event. There's so many things that you can do, but it starts in your home. And so it's very important and very powerful. If I hear more on how to support this midwife or Nebraska home birth in general, you will be sure to find that over on my Instagram. So thanks again for your time, your listening into my musings and my thoughts on this trial. It just, it helps me process. It was such a big week. I cried tears of joy over the non-guilty or not guilty verdict. It was such a big week for Nebraska. And I'm thankful. I'm very, very thankful. Thank you again for joining me. And we will see you next time on the Empowered Birth Podcast.